Well, we are continuing um, our sermon series, uh, Set Free to Live Free. And what we're doing is we're looking at the Ten Commandments. The people of Israel, okay, this is in Exodus chapter 20. So the people in Israel, let's just, we, we got to back up, we got to look and see what's going on. They were in slavery for 400 years. All they knew, four generations, all they knew was slavery. They didn't know what freedom felt like. They didn't know how to live out that freedom. And then God, in a miraculous, redeeming, uh, gracious act, he brings them out of slavery. So really, they're free, but they don't know how to live free. They're still trusting in other things, other gods, even themselves. And you know what? It's just like you and I today. We have turned to Jesus. Those of y'all who are Christ followers, you have turned to Jesus in repentance and in faith. And yet you still, and I still, struggle with how to live free in Christ. Some of us are still struggling, excuse me. Some of us are still struggling to break sinful habits and patterns in our lives. Some of us are struggling to love God and others because for our whole lives we have been consumed with loving ourselves. But you see, knowing this, God does something amazing. He gives us his law to show us how to live free. How to properly relate to God and to other people. And listen very carefully. This is very important for today. If we do not follow his commands, it will lead to broken relationships. All of God's commands are relational. If we do not follow his commands, they will all lead to broken relationships with God and with others. For example, Exodus twenty thirteen says this, Thou shalt not kill. For, that's the King James Version, thou shalt not kill. The ESV and the other translations say, you shall not murder. Let me tell you something, murder is a relationship killer, you agree? <laughs> All right, we're done. <laughs> that was good. Thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah, murder is a relationship killer. I know that's a pun. That's terrible. But anyways, in, in order to understand this command, what I want to do today is ask uh, four questions, okay? But look, look at that. Look at Exodus twenty thirteen. Thou shalt not kill. Okay? Many of us have the, the King James Version. I kind of, I didn't grow up in church, but the first place I was at, it was King James. So I kind of memorized it that way. Thou shalt not kill. Okay? That, what does that mean? Okay? We got to define what that, what that is. So with that said, I want to give four questions to help us understand this command that God has given to all of his people. Okay, the first question is this. What does that mean? (laughs) Thou shalt not kill, or specifically, you shall not murder. What does it mean? The word kill, if we just use our own vocabulary about kill, that carries a lot of baggage with that word, doesn't it? What does kill mean? To some of us, we think of life and death situations. I got to kill to survive. Some of us think about home defense. I got to kill to protect my family. Some of us, when we think of kill, we think of war. Some of us, and more from a personal level than just a a ethereal level, we think about suicide. That's kill. The killing of oneself. What about the death penalty? 
What about hunting, you know, animals? What does kill mean? Listen, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, there were seven words for the word kill. There were seven words, okay? And we're not going to go over all of them for time's sake, but the word that is in this passage and about 47 other passages, this word focuses on premeditation and intentionality. That's why it is translated murder. All right? So that is the difference. So what this commandment is not addressing, we'll start there. What this commandment is not addressing is the killing of animals for food because that was allowed in Genesis 9.3. It is not addressing the defending of your home. For Exodus 22, two chapters later, talks about this. It is not addressing accidental killings. Deuteronomy 19 discusses that. Nor is it addressing state-sanctioned execution. For Genesis 9, again, talks about that. Nor is it addressing just war. For God had called his people to war when it was justified. But what is it addressing? It is addressing murder. The intentional killing of a person. Either, and this is so important, either the unlawful killing of yourself or others. So if I were to ask you now, since we just read that one passage, do not murder. Why should we not murder? And our answer at this point should be, well, because God said so, and that's enough. After everything we just sang about God, he's the authority of our life, okay? He is almighty. There is none beside him, none above him. If God gives us a command, you know what? We should just answer it. We should obey it. That's clear. But guess what? God is a gracious God because he knows that we are kids who are like, well, why? 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 Anybody got wires in their, in their family? Anybody? Yeah. Well, you know what I'm talking about. And God is so gracious that he actually shows us the heart. He shows us the reason. He shows us why it is wrong. The very heart behind the commandment. And that brings us to question number two. Question number two is this. What is life worth? What is the value of life? What is the value of life? In order to understand that, we got a few passages we need to go through. All right. First of all, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Genesis 1, so the very first chapter in all the Bible, lays out uh, the worth of humanity. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says this. Then God said, this is the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Key words there. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have authority, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Here's what that passage is saying. God cares about his creation as a whole. Every bit of it is important to him. So God 
calls man and woman, creates them in a special way, and says, I want you to have authority and dominion over it all. You're to take care of my creation. I love all of it. But, we are God's special creation. Our value, what is life worth? Our value is determined by our maker. Know that very clearly. Your value is determined by your maker. You know, it's kind of like how it is today. If, if I'm an inventor and I invent something, I can charge whatever I want, right? Now, people may or may not buy it, but I can literally charge whatever I want because that value is determined personally by, by me. I understand now stock, you know, markets and all that kind of stuff. That's silly. But you can choose because you're the maker. You can choose the value of that item. And God is our maker. Don't ever forget that. And he made you and I unique. He made us special. Unlike any other creature. Because listen, all the other creatures, they were made according to Genesis 1. They were all made according to their image. So that means this, the blueprints for a cow was a cow, okay? The blueprint for a lizard, here it comes, was a lizard. And God made them kind after their own kind, after their own kind, not so with us. Old Testament professor John Salehammer says this, man is not an image of himself, He also shares the likeness of his creator. So we share in part, at least, the nature and attributes of God. Now, it's totally imperfect, but we have the ability to love. We have the ability to reason. We have the ability to to, uh, live by truth. We have the ability to have relationship with our creator and with his creation. We have some things that are absolutely unique to all of creation. We have the ability to fellowship with God. So here's what that means. Everything in creation is absolutely important. But you are more important than a whale. You are more important than your pet. I know those are fighting words, but it's true, okay? I have a dog. I'm not going to tell you whether I like him or not. Let's just assume I like him, okay? Okay? If my house was on fire and there is a dog and one of my daughters, listen, I, I want the dog because for my wife's sake, I want the dog out, okay? But if I only had time to save one, it'll be my daughter, Okay? You are unique. You are made in the image of God. So because of this, because of this, uh, writer John Barry says this, to take an innocent life was tantamount to killing God in effigy since humans were created in the image of God. Let me give you a picture of what, what he's saying. Okay, We have people in other countries, even some in this country, but let's talk about other countries for a moment. Other countries burning the United States flag 
They're doing it in effigy. What they're doing is they're saying, if I could burn America down, I would. So I'm going to burn this symbol of America. So, So that's that mindset. So for someone to kill, to murder a human being is basically saying the same thing. Murder is my attempt to steal the throne from God who is the author of life because I don't think he's good enough. So I move into God's position and I choose life or I choose death for another person. That is blasphemy of the highest order. To which John Perry Barry would also say, but protecting an innocent human life showed reverence for God, the primary object of all the Old Testament law. Think about it. The purpose of the law was for us to have right relationships with each other and with God. So everything in it is good. Whether we fail at it or not, his law is perfect. And the following of his law shows a reverence for God. So again, the question, what are you worth? What are you worth? Because you bear the image of God, you're priceless. You're priceless. And listen to me very carefully here. No matter who you are, no matter where you have been, no matter where you are today in your life, and I'm going to go a step further. Even if you have not yet received Christ yet, you need to hear this. Your worth is not based on your productivity to society. Your worth is not based on man's standard of what is acceptable or unacceptable. Your worth is not based on your abilities or your disabilities. Your worth is not ever based on your view of your self-worth. You are sacred to God. You are valuable to Him. And His view is all that matters. You are sacred to God. And this sacredness, by the way, is shown in how God deals with murderers. Turn to Genesis chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. How valuable are you? Well, this person... This person is clearly more valuable than I am because they've got this, they've got these, these talents, they've got whatever. Uh, the scripture says completely different. Genesis 9, verse 5 and 6. Now, a little uh, background. This is Noah, built an ark. Rains came, God judged all the earth. So now we have uh, humanity, take two. Uh, and so now Mo, uh, Noah gets off the ark and God gives a covenant with Noah saying, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to flood the whole earth again. Um, uh, You need to do some things. And God establishes some great truth here. And in verse 5, he says, And for your lifeblood, meaning if someone takes your life, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. means if someone gets murdered, someone is going to pay. And he says, From every beast, I will require it. And from every man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. So 
what this is saying is murder's a big deal. There's going to be a price to pay. And here it comes. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. Because of the value that your maker has set upon you, if you are murdered, there's no, there's no bargaining here. There's no, I'll pay a little bit of this, I'll spend a little time in jail. No, your life is so valuable that nothing can pay for it. So the only punishment is death. That is how valuable God treats your life. So valuable that no, no restitution can pay for it. You can't get your way out of murder, is what the scripture says. To, to allow it to go even further, look at Numbers 35, verse 30 and 31. Numbers chapter 35, as he's uh, giving uh, more of, of the law, as God is giving more of the law to, through uh, Moses, listen to what the scripture says. In Numbers 35, verse 30 and 31, it says, if anyone kills a person, the murderer, so we're talking about uh, intentional, okay, murder. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Which means you got to have proof. All right? You got to have proof that someone murdered. But listen to what he says. Moreover, you shall not accept or you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, at this point, some of you, well, we live in a different society. Stop there. Okay, what you're doing is now you're... You're jumping to uh, this kind of contemporary mindset that, that thinks that God is lighter on, on sin. What God is trying to show us is that you are valuable. God is not some bloodthirsty person. Someone died, ha <laughs> let's go kill someone. No, God is saying, don't kill anybody because every life is valuable to me. So if, if I need to put some roadblocks to protect these relationships, the highest, most, most disastrous thing you can do is murder. And there's no payment for that. It's life for life. This is huge. How valuable are you? You are priceless. And when we talk about murder, one thing that always comes up, and we need to, we need to bring this up, what about abortion? What about abortion? Here's the thing with abortion. In the past, I'm talking about the uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and, and in the past. The debate was whether the fetus in the womb was a human life. That was the debate that went on. Well, you know, either it's not or we're just not sure. So, I mean, of course, they didn't read the Bible to, to get the answer there. But that was the argument. So if that's the case, then it's just a piece of tissue and then you, you can choose and it's not really murder. It's just a choice that you make. But now there's no question. All right, Science has proven the Bible to be true. There's no question. The baby in the womb is clearly human. That's why... A lot of people fight against 
people who are considering abortions to have an ultrasound. Because there's no doubt that when you see, you know that it is human. I could go into all these things, what happens at the the, the eighth week, the 21st week and all that. Time is not going to allow me to do that. But what I can tell you from evidence, and you could read it, even our presidential candidates who are for abortion have had to admit, yeah, it's human life. Which brings me to today's argument. Today's argument is not over whether it's human or not because they admit it. Today's argument is over convenience. It's over convenience. Don't fall into the lie of, well, what if it's uh, for the life of the mother or, or rape or incest? Listen, that is like 0.0 something percent of that goes on. And, and by the way, that's also the same answer. Murder, okay? Um, but as a whole, the argument is over convenience. It's over the woman's body. The problem is the baby has its own brain, has its own functioning organs, has its own DNA. This baby is not a part of the mother. The mother is the home of this baby. So if the argument is over convenience, the real question we have to ask ourselves is this. Is murder acceptable for the sake of convenience? That's the real question. And the answer is an emphatic no. God, from the very beginning, created and treated the unborn as humans. Do you know, if you look through the scripture, that God calls people in the womb? Okay, so God is actually having relationship. I mean, he is having conversation. I don't even know what that's like. Okay, but the Holy Spirit moves into babies that are in the womb. Isaiah was called. Jeremiah was called in the womb. Paul the Apostle talked about from from even in his womb, God was at work in his life. Samson was, was told from the womb and beyond he used to be a Nazarite. This is crazy. John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit moved in him while he was in the womb. Listen, God, God definitely calls a baby in the womb a human. And we should too. And not only that, but listen, God also gave legal protections to the unborn. And listen, those protections were identical protections to those who were born. Look in, we're in the book of Exodus 20. Go to the next chapter, 21. Exodus 21. Look how this has played out. This is so insane. In Exodus 21, verse 22 to 25, it says, When men strive together, a couple of guys get into a bar fight. Okay, let's just say that for fun. When men strive together, and then say a pregnant woman walks by and she gets hit. So that her child or her children come out, meaning it causes her to go into labor, but there is no harm, then the one who hit her, no harm, okay? Then the one who hit her surely will be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. What this is saying, it's pretty clear. 
If two people are in a fight and a guy hits a woman and she goes into labor, she has a baby. This guy's got to pay medical bills. This guy's got to pay some sort of um, assistance to the family because of the hardship that was put upon that family and potentially the child. That's a big deal. But listen to the rest. But if there is harm, what does it say? Then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If the baby dies, the murderer dies. But today, it's like this. A parent and a doctor can choose to conveniently murder. Unless, unless the mother calls it human. You've heard about the the story in California about four years ago where uh, a woman found out she was pregnant. She was so excited, so she told her boyfriend he was not excited. So what he did was he said, the doctor said you had an infection, so I have some uh, antibiotics for you. Well, he actually took out the antibiotics and put in a, a probe, a, a, an abortion pill. And of course, she lost the baby through miscarriage because of that. And she was so upset when she found out because she had to go and the doctors did the research and they said, you've been taking an abortion medication. She brought him to court and now he is serving 13 years for murder. Listen, that may sound like a victory. But what it says, though, is that a parent can be God. How can one person say it is a life? And in another family, the other person says, I don't consider it life. We are messed up. I'm afraid I'm complicit in it. My point here is life is of great value to God from the womb to the tomb. And it should be to us as well. Listen, if life is so valuable and murder is so rampant in our society, how can we stop the tragedy? That brings us to question number three. Where does murder begin? Where does murder begin? If we want to to start hedging this problem... We've got to go to the beginning. We've got to go to the source of the problem. And I'm here to tell you, we're going to look at the anatomy of a murder, okay? (laughs) This is going to sound like some sort of crime show. The anatomy of a murder, and it begins in the heart. Look at Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 3 was the great fall. The great fall that took place when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and to do their own way. And literally, the, the effects of sin were not only catastrophic, but they were immediate. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 through 10, let's just read this together. It is just insane. It says, In the course of time, Cain, the older brother, he brought to the Lord an offering of of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock 
and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. God didn't respect his offering. We can get into that, and that's a, that's a whole sermon there. But in a nutshell, Cain knew what he was supposed to bring, and he chose to bring it his own way instead of following God's way. All right? And so, listen to this. Because the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but not for Cain, listen to this. Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, if you do what's right, will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you. It's, it's, it's wanting to overtake you, and you must rule over it. You must, you must move from this. This, this jealousy, this envy, this bitterness that's going on, you've got to let it go. It's going to consume you. So then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The anatomy of a murder. To help break this down, we needed to get an investigative journalist. And his name is John, who was an apostle. And here's what he says in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. He says, you should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and he murdered his brother. So this is murder, clearly. And why did he murder him? Listen to this. This is so huge. He murdered him because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Meaning this. Cain knew that he was falling short. But he also knew that his brother was doing well. What is that called? Jealousy and envy. The heart. Do not be surprised then. Okay, us. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. The world hates you because you have something that they don't have. That you have hope, you have life, you have a, a reason for living that goes beyond this world. The world hates you. And he says, We know that we have passed from death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Okay? So, an evidence of your faith is that you love the brothers, not hate them and want them dead. He says, Whoever does not love, abides in death. Listen to this. Everyone, that's a, this is an underlinable uh, part here. Everyone who hates his brother is a what? A murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So where does murder begin? In the heart to which Jesus Christ himself, the great I am, the very one who was on the mountain giving Moses the great commandments, the very God, says this in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So same, same consequence there. For anger as well as murder. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Listen, we need to be very clear here. Very clear. Warren Wiersbe says it best. Jesus did not say that anger leads to murder. 
Jesus did not say that anger leads to murder. He said that anger is murder. So this gives us a new definition of murder. Murder is the inappropriate anger towards someone either inwardly or outwardly. That's what murder is. An inappropriate anger towards someone inwardly or outwardly. Because listen, whenever you're angry, here's what you do. You meditate. Constantly thinking about the situation and that person. You talk about. Either behind their back or in front of them. You act rudely to. Whether subtly or overtly. And then eventually you act out. Let me ask you a question before we get to question number four. Let me ask you this. Who are you murdering? We can't take this truth and not apply it to our life here. Who are you murdering? Are you murdering a political candidate? Are you murdering a news anchor? Are you wishing either Fox News or CNN would burn to the ground? And all their workers? Are you murdering an inattentive driver? Are you murdering a boss or a co-worker? Are you murdering a pastor? Or a small group leader? You have some inner frustrations towards people leading you and you just wish that they would move on or die small group is there conflict in your small group and instead of dealing with it biblically are you just talking behind people's backs this is real are you murdering an ex-spouse or an ex-friend? Some of you, are you murdering your, your current spouse and your current friends? Are you murdering a parent or a child? That's the case. Ultimately, you're desiring to murder God. Now listen, I am not denying that, that, that we get wronged. I'm not denying that. The issue is your response. You are not accountable for other people's actions, but you are accountable for your own. If you have been wronged and you let bitterness, resentment, hatred, unforgiveness in, you are a murderer. Scripture. You can't forgive. Listen, forgive does not mean forget. Okay, we can't wipe wipe our memories away by getting a magnet or something. We can't do that. Forgive does not mean to forget. It means to give them over to God and to live for God. To live for Him. Say, God, you're, you're the one of vengeance. You take care of that. I give them over to you and I choose to live in freedom. But listen, when you live in a state of unforgiveness, here's what you're living for. You're not living for Jesus. You're living for yourself. Satisfying yourself in your own selfishness. And so you're living for your anger. You're constantly keeping a record of others, other people's sins. You're a murderer. Thank God that he does not do that for you and I. 
In Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4, it says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you would keep track of my sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Listen, Jesus even prayed for the forgiveness of his own murderers. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Listen, if we want to stop murdering, it must begin in our own hearts. Let me, let me kind of put this together. And I want to be very sensitive here. Okay, please hear this. Let God work on you. I hope to give you scripture, not opinion here. I've got to speak truth. You'll agree with the first part. Murder is sin. It is sin. Taking someone's life is murder. Taking part in taking someone's life is murder. For David himself was complicit in the murder of a man named Uriah in the Old Testament. And he was called a murderer. Suicide is murder. Abortion is murder. Hatred is murder. Envy is murder. Rudeness is murder. Tearing down others is murder. Gossiping about others is murder. And listen, all our sins must be dealt with. Then there's God who comes to bring us freedom. He gives us his law. And why? To show us how to live a life of freedom. Which brings me to my last question. How can we live and freedom. Because here's the fact. We're all murderers. Our only escape is to cling to the just judge and the very Lord of our refuge. Psalm 212b says, Blessed are they who take refuge in him. Guest, seeker, unbeliever, you need to come to Jesus. He's our only hope. Not only our only hope for living in this crazy world where everything is going to fall and fail, but he gives us the promise of eternal life that we will not have to face God as judge, but as Father, listen, we may not escape the consequences of our sin here on earth, but we can escape the eternal consequences. And that way, and that only way, is Jesus. Sin must be paid for. The question is, who is going to pay for yours? Who is going to pay for your murders? Who is going to pay for your sin? Is it you? Listen, you deserve it. So do I. I deserve it. But there is one who already paid for your sin. He's calling you. 
He is calling you to come to him. Listen, anything in your life he already knows about. Anything and everything in your life he already knows about and he's still calling you. He knows all your past, all your present, and he even knows what you're going to do in the future. And yet he still is calling you today. If you're here, you're not here by accident. He brought you here so that you can hear that God wants you. He doesn't need you. There's none above him, no beside him. But God, who has placed priceless value on you, wants you to be his and him to be yours forever. You can make a choice because here's the fact. The fact is Jesus died at the hands of murderers and he died for murderers like you and I. And if you come to Jesus, listen to this, he promises to give you a new life and a new heart. Listen to what he says to the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen through 20, he says, I will give those people who come to me, he says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit. I will put, I will put it within them, okay? This is huge. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. We once had a heart of stone full of murder and envy and strife and all other types of sin. And God, if we come to him, he will take that heart of stone out and he'll replace it with a new heart. We become changed individuals because of the love and the mercy of Christ. And he says, I'll give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. It's a choice. God has given you a choice today. He's given us a choice. We can repent of our sins. We can turn away from our old life, our rock hard heart. We could turn from that and believe that Jesus paid for our sin for us. And we could receive him as Savior and Lord of our life by faith and trust. Or we can choose to reject the only one who could save us. I close with this very somber passage. And I know it's, it's, it's a somber message here. So we're not going to end, um, you know, yee-haw unless you know Christ. In Revelation 21, verse 6 and 8. This is a a heavenly scene here. So John has been given a vision of the future. And he hears the very words of the great I am. And he writes these words down. Listen to what is said. He, Jesus said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You couldn't earn it. You don't deserve it. He already paid it for you. No matter what murders you have ever committed in your life, He wants to forgive, to restore you. He goes on. I'll give it to you without payment if you trust in me. He says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. So guests, even church members here, I plead with you, come to Christ this morning. Come to Christ this morning. Because of our sin, we are going to have scars. 
We're not going to have a perfect life. We're going to still deal with some consequences. But from heaven's perspective, we are, we are guilt-free. There's no condemnation in Christ. If you come to him in faith. That's not the end of the passage. It says, but ask for the cowardly. The ones who do not humble themselves and come to Christ. But ask for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. Ask for murderers, for sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, if you hear that passage, you're like, darn, God's rough. You have missed the whole point. God has made a way of escape from hell. He has done everything possible to save you. He calls you to choose him. That's my plea for you. Let's pray. Father God, my prayer is so simple this morning. I pray, I pray, Father God, that you would answer according to your perfect plan. God, save murderers like us. We have sinned against you. God, we have hurt others with our words, with our attitudes, and with our actions. And those very hurts are why you came to die. So God, save us from ourself, from our sins, from our separation from you. God, save us from the second death of hell. Please, God, help people to see your kindness and your mercy this morning. And that they would come to you in faith and in joy. Father God, I pray for your children. Those who have come to know you as Savior and Lord. And we continue to murder. God, help us to realize that every single person, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter their nationality, no matter their socioeconomic state, Help us to realize that every person on this planet was made in your image. Worthy of respect, honor, and dignity. Those that are sitting right next to us. Those who are on the other side of the room from us. Those living in our homes. Those in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our schools, our highways, in our world. Help us, God, to put down the hatred. Give us a heart like yours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.